0: Do
1: 8
2: the best things in life are free,
0: but you can keep them for the best and be. Now, give me more. want to start the radio show. I want to start the radio I want to start the radio show. Moolah. On Brave New Radio. Moolah. And it's for Music fans 101 and more. Moolah. On Brave New Radio and more. I want to start the radio show. I want to start the radio show.
2: Anybody know any co-hosts out there looking for work? Music is 101 and more.
0: This is great. This is Music Biz 101 and more. Yes. I'm your Professor David Kirkfield, along well, with your doctor, you on Marconi. I've never been better. How was your Halloween? Was disaster. My Halloween. Any, was that last
2: week? Any trick-or-treaters?
0: I was, uh, no. We didn't actually have any. We didn't. We had any. none. 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 Did you have any at your house? Three,
2: four years in a row now.
0: That I haven't had any, word or are you we say saying you, you? you know. I'm sorry about that.
2: Don't even buy the candy.
0: Did yet, you dress no. up? Did you put on your uh, leopard skin outfit and?
2: I went as a uh, professor.
0: Oh, you did. Yes. That's very good. I went as a doctor. Ah, I had that thing on my head and a, a stethoscope ah. around my neck, and I uh, good. W- I was sued multiple times Probably during the PhD evening. Then. Yeah. yeah, my joke was funny because of the. Well, you said the PhD. I said I was sued multiple times. I, I brought on. I brought. I just brought down the insurance industry of the United States of America. Ah, Medicare for most. Hey. Music Biz One Hundred and One and More. We have Ashley Veltner. She's German. She speaks no words in English, but she's over there on the other side of the non-existent glass. Ashley, yes. thank you for yes. clearing for us tonight. Yes. Thank you, Ashley, wearing her Starbuckles cap. Did you get up at three a.m. this morning, Ashley, to work at a Starbuckles? Yes. All right. Yeah. Go back to bed. I wish. We'll call you when we need you. Thank you, Ashley.
2: What ja. no, what is German? Ja. ja. Don't cough.
0: And then we have uh, Nick Spillert. Nick yes. Spillert. He Hello, used to everyone. be a student yeah. and he graduated. Now he's just a man. Yes. Alumni. He's alumnus, the singular alumnus here helping us out. Nick's here because um, he interned for tonight's guest, Matt Feldman, of Hard Eight Working Group, group Artist Management. That is too many correct. words, too many words, one mouthful.
1: How long did you intern there? Well, I was with him at Iron Management Iron for man. about a year. I want to say a little over a year.
0: Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to say that. Why don't you just say it? Just say it. It
0: was we're a not little gonna, over a year. Thank you. Yeah. We're not, it's not like we're holding you back. Where did
2: they <laughs> get that phrase from? Which phrase? I want to say.
0: Where did that happen? I don't know. Boy. You know what I want to do? Yeah. I want to give some Thanks. I want to give thanks to the folks at Fandine, Bruno, Inc., White Hat Management, artists like Dave Matthews, Trez Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kitsch. There's only one place to go for your band's business management, like A Boy Named John. That's oh. a band that Nick Spillard is in. Oh. He mm-hmm. plays a four-strang bass guitar. The bass, yes. The bitch guitar. Go to VB... dot <sighs> ...cpa.com when you're ready. And also, we want to give thanks to Christine... Oi, they wealth... No. <laughs> and we want to give thanks to Christine. They a wealth manager and the El Presidente. Actually she'd be La Presidente of They Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson and also professionals all over the world and also some amateurs manage their investments, plan after the retirement. If somebody like you, the listener, is looking for some guidance on how to plan out for your the listener's retirement. Or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a call. Nicholas, repeat after me, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1,510.
1: 1,510.
0: When I said the 1,510 to Joe Riccatelli, it threw him. I I listened back to the podcast, and he, and he, he didn't know what I was doing, so he just said 1,510. But Nick got it. Nick's young. Mm-hmm. Nick's, Nick's, you're hungry. Mm-hmm. You're passionate. I'm to, actually very hungry. You're a numbers man. You are very hungry. So mm-hmm. have some dinner. Anybody can
2: email her. Christine at vawell.com for advisement. Leave the last oi off for saving.
0: And why would you not? Managing your band 6th edition has been out. And keep it out. For a
2: long time.
0: Many, many moons. Two year
2: three, two it came and a half.
0: June 6th. Of 2017. Yes. Be two, yes it's two and now and we're in November, uh-huh. doscientos. How do you say 19? Nova
3: Chingon. Oh. 19. Don-
0: don- don- oh. uh, yes, right. <laughs> Hola, personas.
2: Arriba.
0: Yeah, I like it when our, our engineer is yawning as we do this. By the way, this is the year five and a half, 5.5 of this television. This is not television. This is a radio show. William Patterson as the greatest uh, uh, music business program in the United States, according to Billboard magazine. They said it. We didn't. They said we are the best ever. And most other music business programs around the country have gone out of business because of us. That's what we do. We put the competition, Nicholas, out of business. Mm. There's a boy named John, your band. There are no other bands. You put them all out of business. Yep, all of them. Speaking of in-business, we have Matt Feldman. He is our guest tonight. Matt is a manager at Hard 8 Working Group Artist Management. His clients include Tate McRae on RCA Records, producer Eric Palmquist. Prior to joining Hard 8 Working Group Artist Management, Matt owned and operated independent management company, Iron, I Am Iron man Management. Matt's a graduate of Drew University in, in the Rose City, Madison, New Jersey. I told Matt, are you on? I am here. Hello. Matt, right. hello. It's good to have you. I told you uh, via the electronic mail how I grew up in Madison, New Jersey right around from Drew University. I told my hey, mom bro. I told my mom I was going to be speaking with you tonight and how you went to Drew because uh, she still lives yeah. in Madison. And I said, uh, Matt Feldman's going to be on, and her neighbor is named Richard Feldman.
3: You don't know him, probably. When, yeah, I always find it weird when I, when I meet another Feldman. like uh, Apparently it's <laughs> It's it's not that uncommon of a name, but it I don't know always sort of freaks me out when I it's like seeing your doppelganger or something. Right. Yes.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. This man's close to seventy, and you're not, so you're still young and viral, <laughs> and you're still you still want to manage young people. But um, but Matt, thanks so much for being on. I almost said attending for being here on Music Business One Hundred and One More. Your friend Nick Spillert is here with
1: us. What's up, man? How are you?
0: What up, Nick? How you doing? Good. Very good.
1: Thanks for uh, joining us.
0: Having me. Well, he's not joining us like he's going to be here every I'll week. Oh, get That's the point. Okay, sorry. And we also have Dr. Esteban Marconi, Matthew, who See. is going to begin the third degree of you. So thank well, you Well, I'm
2: just very curious, and how did you come up with the name of the working group? Uh,
3: you have to ask Dirk and Rich, who are the, the partners there, that it was... Um,
2: you just, you joined of, them?
3: The, yeah, I, okay. I just started in January, but Rich was Rich Egan was Heart 8, and then Dirk Hemseth was Working Group, and then they, I think two years ago, partnered together and put pushed the whole name into one.
2: Mm-hmm. And prior to that, you owned Iron Management? I did. Okay, and who were you managing at that time?
3: Um, It went through a couple of different <clears throat> sort of iterations, doing a lot of, Producers and writers at at one point, and then it turned into towards the end of of it turned into more artists. Um, I was working with an artist called Paris at the time, um, and right before I went over to Hard 8
2: mm-hmm. So mm, I'm just um, I'm curious because I think there's a big difference between writers and producers and artists was it easier to manage writers and producers
3: i think it's a very different business i think the writers and producer writer and producers helped me find artists to work with and then that's how it eventually became more artist focused. Uh-huh. but it, i think they're two i think they're two very different skill sets um and I think they're both interesting in 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 different ways.
2: Mm-hmm. So how so? Like, what's the? Um, would producers have less of an ego? No,
3: not necess- not necessarily. Um, producers, <laughs> I would say, are you know it's more on the real people, adult side of life, as opposed to living on the road and and seeing on tour and just having that very like tour bubble sort of thing where you can't, Mm -hmm. it's hard to see what's going on on the outside, but managing producers and writers, it's it's all about just getting them, getting them work and, and, keeping them busy, um, constantly so that they can, you know, live, live their adult lives and pay their bills and be able to be in a creative field, making music and, but also make a living at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm. So obviously you had some contacts for writers. You had artists that the writers might write for. I'm trying to break this down for our audience, not for, not for me. <laughs>
3: oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, basically just general producer management is you have a producer, or a writer, or some, a lot of times these days producers are writers, mm-hmm. um, and your job is to go out and find other artists for them to work with so that the end goal being that, you know, the producer and the artist make music together and the music eventually comes out, ideally through a label, so that the producer can get paid for that. And if they, the artist and the producer wrote the song together, then you know, figure out whatever songwriting splits need to get figured mm-hmm. out and do mm-hmm. it's a lot I guess it's a lot of producer management and songwriter management it's a lot of paperwork and administrative stuff as well which is mm-hmm. a very tedious thing and a lot of following up with with attorneys and other managers and negotiating minute deal point details mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's essentially the the job. And, and your job is to also introduce those producers and writers to other producers and writers mm-hmm. so that they can have friends in that community and if one of their producer-writer friends says, hey, I'm working with artists I'm working with Artist A and I think you would really like it. You should come over to my studio and work with me on it. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. especially I think in modern pop music now, that's how a lot of things are just happening. People are just it's a big collaboration. Bands don't really seem to Exist in the way that they used to exist. Now it's the band, at least in the pop world, is the three or three or four writers that, that work on it. And you get into a room, and instead of everybody having an instrument, everyone's sitting in front of a computer or you know playing mm-hmm. playing a riff and letting everybody else hear it, and then recording it and building a track. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in the old days, there used to be in. Uh at the labels it used to be some sort of an intra office memo or newsletter that would say that such and such artist is looking for one more song to complete or the producers looking for the uh to find one more song for this artist and that was sort of the way writers wanted management to sort of get them work how is it done today is there just is it still who you know and you know, how do you know that yeah. this writer is, you say, well, this, she's got a great song for Ariana Grande, making it up. And now how do you get to Ariana Grande and pitch this song?
3: I think there's, well, those those lists still exist. I've seen them passed around from, from time to time. But, I mean, it's, it's really, I think, in the songwriter, at least the L.A. songwriter community, which I'm not necessarily so, a part of cause I'm New York based and, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think it's really about a, a lot of it is writer to writer, producer to producer, getting out there and networking. If you're a producer and, and making friends and figuring out what the projects are and having, and what art, hot artists are out there and, and, figuring out like, how can I get this person to want to work with me again or call me back or like want to have me over in their studio and know that I could be a trusted person to call when it's time for Ariana Grande to come in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, its I've, I've heard a lot of stories where people just had tr- tracks or song ideas, and they got pitched and passed around, and they landed in, in the right place, and it just sort of happened. So I don't know that there's a right or a wrong way to, to do it, but I think it's, at least in that community, it's about the hustle. And I think once you get to a certain point and you have hits, obviously you're going to be getting calls on the mm-hmm. regular for people to want to work with you.
2: Sure, sure. Now, in the, I think the largest number I've seen of writers and publishers was, I can't remember the tune, but it was a hip-hop song, and I think I counted 18 publishers and 21 writers.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow! That's and
2: talking to um, <laughs> Brayback one day, he said that uh, he, had, he had seen one even larger than that. At at ASCAP. So I'm just, you know, I think hip-hop has done quite a bit to change song form in terms of writing tunes, Uh, not not, not necessarily good or bad, but we certainly don't have a verse, you know, two-verse chorus and bridge, so on and so forth. Uh, But they've also, I think, just have um, opened up, and we're seeing it with Lizzo now being sued so many times for, um, you know, not including somebody's name or something because they were in the same room when this right. supposedly creative endeavor was, was finalized. And, of course, I think especially in uh, people that aren't really know the business, that no one goes into the room and there's five people there. And before they even say a word, they say, okay, we're all going to get equal cuts and sign right here that you agree with this. It just doesn't happen, but it it should happen, probably. Uh, but do we find that... Do you find that large number of writers are showing up on... Or a larger number of writers are showing up on tunes than previously? Yeah, I mean...
3: Yeah, it kind, of, it kind of feels that way. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of days ago about how the new Five Seconds to Summer single Teeth has like 11 writers on it. And yeah. It's deep, yeah. Sort of, you know, if you think about it logically, how could 11 people right. write a song? I agree. Um, you know, it could be partially political. Of course. You know, maybe 11 people contributed. It's, it's, it's certainly possible. I, I would, without knowing the details, if I had a guess, I'd say it might be a little bit more political than, than that. But I also think we live in a time period where stems and tracks just get passed around to tons and tons of people. And then all of a sudden they become something. And then, you know, the manager has to scramble. Someone's manager has to scramble around and try and get everything agreed to and clear. Mm-hmm. Just I guess the same way that the little Nas X song yeah. was a, mm-hmm. yeah. a nine inch nail song that had a trap beat put over it and went on TikTok and, Right, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, then the whole thing sort of grew out of it. But uh, I was reading an article in Billboard the other day where it seemed Trent Reznor was surprised and really cool about it. And I guess he's probably in a place in his life where he doesn't have to really sweat about those things happening to him. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. When you said political, though, what do you mean? Are you are you saying like maybe uh, a producer on the track had to get because of the producer is who that producer is? He needs to get or she. three, three, four percent of the song and something like that? Or what did you mean when you meant political?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, you can get in a room and work with people, and there could be four people in a room and three people only really do something on the track, but you're more than likely going to split it four ways, or someone's just going to start a fight. And it's either you make it easy and you just split it, and you look for sort of the, the greater good. And I'm I'm speaking for the artist manager's perspective, or you start a fight with everybody and maybe the song never comes out.
2: Hmm. So Mm -hmm.
3: that's sort of the way that, that I look at it. It's just sort of the cost of doing business. It's how the pop world works. I wish it was a little easier and some people were a little bit more honest about it, but that's just sort of how it is. And I'm not, not everybody's like that. There's a lot of really, really cool people out there, but you know, those things those things do happen where people are fighting over splits and you just sort of have to cut your losses and, and move ahead with whatever you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you have an artist like uh, Tate McRae, for example. Yeah. Who I'm just on Spotify right now looking at a few tracks and looking at the credits. And, of course, the credits show nothing other than performed by. So uh, just right Credit. up not I can't, I can't tell if she's... Uh, a self-contained songwriter, or if she's a pop artist who um, has a number of different people with them with her, can you, I guess, explain that? Explain who she is, how you found her, how her songwriting goes, and then we could kind of get into what you, as a manager, do w- when it comes time to approaching about split sheets and things like that.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, just I'll go back to the beginning. Um, she was signed to RCA, I think, at the end of. End of 2018, um, and around April, her A&R person who signed her, who is a friend of mine, came to me and said, Oh, I thought you'd like this, and, you know, I thought maybe you guys would be good, you know, for to manage because she, she needs somebody. And um, she had built a really large YouTube following on her own, um, just posting original songs pretty much like once a week or once every two weeks. You know, very simple songs, just her in front of her computer playing a keyboard and singing a song. And they started to go viral and and really started to strike a chord on YouTube. And then she recorded a couple of them and put them on streaming services. And those really started to, to pick up in a very, very big way. Uh, just on their own, and she eventually signed to RCA, and then, like I said, in April, um, myself and the company pitched for it, and, you know, luckily she chose us as managers, and we've been sort of going hard ever since. And and
0: what, so she is a songwriter by herself. She's writing all these songs. Like, she has a song called One Day Day that has almost 47 million streams and teenage mind has over 23 million streams. So those are songs that she wrote by herself.
3: Yeah. Those are the songs that went viral on mm-hmm. her own. And, and, and she'll, she'll tell you the same thing. She just wrote them without really thinking much of it and put them on the internet. And, you know, for fans just really jumped onto it and, and loved it. And, and, really set this whole thing up that she has going and, and, you know, her YouTube's at 1.9 million subscribers and that song one day on Spotify gets 150,000 streams a day consistently with no playlisting. It's all algorithmic and Spotify radio people just listening to it because they, they love it or it's in their collection. Um, but now it's time, you know, those are songs that she did on her own, just not, not really knowing what she was doing, just hmm. trying to put music out. And now we're in a spot where we're releasing music on RCA and really trying to help her make the jump from YouTube to a, you know, a proper artist with a real business. What's in, now, this is, this is, you're
0: kind of in a weird spot when we talk about politics, but when you got her, knowing how well she was doing without a major label, if you had met her beforehand, would you have said, let's hold off on the major label because you're already getting a ton of streams? You're already getting a lot of business on your own without a major label.
3: You know, it's, it's hard to say cause I, because we weren't involved in the signing process. You can always look back and, mm-hmm. and dissect things and, and second guess. But I, I will say this, well, that RCA really has been a great partner for her and has done, done a lot, and I think that we all really work well together. So I don't know the answer to that first question, but I do know that having RCA on board and doing the work that we've been doing with them has been really beneficial and, and been really great and helped to build her business.
0: So what are some of the things that RCA is doing since... Uh, since
2: Well, we had Joe Ricatelli on a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Good guy, uh, great guy. Yeah, yeah. And we did mention, or he mentioned. I can't remember how we got into, but we did mention her. And yeah, uh, our, he our was saying that he was writers. expecting a gra- a big blow up to occur. but he didn't say how. So
0: I just remember he kept talking yeah. about Matt Feldman for like twenty five minutes. No, just no, have, no, boy, no. Great, <laughs> he just said, "Boy, this guy's great. He should be co president."
2: Feldman. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, he did mention her, uh, so I think you're right. Of course, it probably was a, a good move when a, president, a co-president will say that. But uh, yeah, and getting back to what Dave was just saying, uh, what are you expecting besides just more, more of what they're doing, or more of what you're doing from RCA? Well,
3: we. You know, the, the good thing is is that we're on the same page in terms of how to, we'd like to develop her and, and how she would like to be developed, where obviously radio is not a thing that we're thinking about right now. It's, it's too early, and you don't really need it at this point. You know, you have streaming and you have YouTube and you have Instagram and you have TikTok and all these tools at your disposal where if you utilize those correctly, radio is the last piece that you really need to to cross it into the mainstream. And that's what we're doing. We're checking off all the boxes. We're making great content. We're making, helping her make great new music, Um, getting great press. You know, she just, she was featured on Genius Verified, which was um, was a pretty cool look for a songwriter and an artist. They give them sort of a stamp of, of credibility. And that just came out yesterday on their YouTube channel. And, They've been great overseas. She's on Ministry of Sound in the UK, which is a Sony owned UK label. She's been getting spins on BBC Radio 1, which is the label's been working hard to get and gotten a lot of great press. And um, we just put up her first tour dates two weeks ago and they're almost all sold out or went clean on the on sale. And the label's been super supportive and helping to connect the dots while she's on tour um so yeah it's 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 definitely a developmental story and they want to do it right and they understand that we need to be need to be patient and we don't have to do anything that doesn't make sense for someone that's that young at this point and has such a great thing going on her own we can get it to a boil and then when it's boiling then you know pull the trigger on it hopefully and
0: what's great for her when you talk about checking the boxes, which are m- methodical, and they eventually lead to the revenue that that she wants to make, so she can do this for, forever. Because she's the sole writer of all these songs, if you get one of these songs into uh, heavy airplay somewhere, whether it's uh, it wouldn't be triple A, uh, but it w- you know it would be like a contemporary, whether it's Z100 or you know, uh, adult contemporary, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's great. Cause then they'll play it for Joe always talking about, they'll play it for six months and the, the mm-hmm. revenue she's going to make just front as a songwriter from the uh, performance rights organizations. That's where she's going to, to really make yeah, her, her revenue.
3: Yeah. And I, just to be clear. So the two, she's released two songs on RCA um, mm-hmm. since August. Those are her first two releases. Those are all co-writes. Everything she's doing now, Board, is working with other producers and writers and that's because she wants to, to do that everything previous to that was all written on her own in her room um and luckily she owns all those masters so she owned the nine song catalog that streams and sells pretty well which is a nice asset for an artist to have for the, the rest of their their life
0: yeah mm-hmm. w- was mm-hmm. how much of a discussion was that was that? She who said, now I want to work with lots of other people. I'm tired of doing it by myself in my room. Or were, was, were people pushing that on you guys to get her in the room with a bunch of other people? I only bring that up because I look at how well she has done on her, on her own, mm-hmm. doing this as a, as a self-made artist. And um, so sometimes you, you go, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, can you kind of get into the mindset around that idea?
3: Yeah, she's, she's super smart and is excited to and understands the benefit of working with other people that have very experienced. She, A, has a lot of fun doing it. You know, she said to me once, if you could put me in a session every single day, I, I would love it. And I think she sees a benefit that it just only makes her a, a better writer. Um, you know, some people prefer to sit and write them write it themselves in their room and, and that's their art and you know that that works for them that's, that's awesome and I, I just think in her case she really does enjoy being creative with other people that she enjoys being around and learning from them as well to, in order to make herself better at what she does.
2: Uh, is she touring now?
3: We just put her first dates on sale. Um, two weeks ago, it was, we did doing LA, Chicago, Toronto, New York, London, Berlin, and Amsterdam, and pretty much all went clean on the, on the on sale. Uh, I think Chicago and Toronto are the last shows that aren't sold out, but they're pretty close. So and this is her first time on the road.
2: What size rooms?
3: Um, super small, Did 200 to 300 cap mm-hmm. rooms. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to. Obviously, we we felt like the shows would sell pretty quickly, but we obviously didn't want to overextend ourselves and and you know miss steps mm-hmm. in in the process. And obviously, didn't want to put her in a position where she didn't sell them out. You know, she would ask us why are she in rooms that are so big.
2: Mm-hmm. Is she getting any tour support from RCA? She is. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I read an article in Billboard this morning actually uh, and there, there was a quote from a uh, paradigms head of music who's marty diamond and this 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 question leads into tate because um he said in his quote there is this component of of like uh, an artist gets two million streams or three million streams or five million streams and that might only mean the artist selling 17 tickets mm. and so then i looked at tate and i see she's coming uh She's coming close to 100 million streams just on Spotify alone. And you talk about how well she was doing on YouTube as well. And um, then you see, I I brought that up to a class today. If you have an artist that's streaming 100 million songs on um, Spotify, what kind of room do you think they would play? And it's interesting because they were saying amphitheaters or or arenas, you know, and – on your first tour, what you do, you're playing it smart, I think, and safe and doing these 200, 250 seat, 250 people venues. Um, talk about, do you, do you think you could have gone bigger, but the plan is, hey, let's sell out these. Let's really make a good look out there and then build, build, have her open for somebody else later. Because Nick here said you, you've had sort of plans before where, with other artists where start low, have them get their feet wet, and then move up. Open with other artists who you may know who might make sense. So, one, yeah, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, I buried my lead. Um, before I ended with, I asked you 15 different questions. My, the, the real question I had, sorry, then we can go back. My my apologies, Matt. Was, do you see a correlation between streams and ticket sales?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that I I don't think There's a steadfast rule, and there's. But I think there is some correlation. But there's also artists that stream a lot that I know for a fact don't probably do the business that you think they would do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really about fan engagement. You know, you could have a song on a mood playlist that on Spotify, for example, that gets listened to a lot, but that doesn't mean people are that engaged. They could be listening to it while they're working on other things at their, you know, at, at their desk at work. But that doesn't mean that when that artist goes on on tour that they're going to go buy a ticket to see it. And then there's some artists that, you know, don't have massive streaming, I guess, compared to other artists, but will do, you know, will, could do cut-down arenas or, or even arenas, but don't do nearly the streaming business of, you know, maybe say like uh, your typical pop, your typical pop acts.
2: Mm-hmm. You have, uh, she has... Three uh, three CAA agents in North America and two for international. Is that due to the structure of CAA? Or why yeah, there's um, so many? And we just had Rob Light funny. on a few weeks ago, too. <clears throat> oh,
3: cool. Uh, Rob's a fan of Tate as mm-hmm. well. Um, that's the way they structured it there. That's kind of what they wanted to do.
2: Um, are they based on, like, small room, medium room? arena and so on like the old days or i think they do they do book
3: um in regions there but Mm -hmm. in terms of like your your actual representation right um you know that's just the way they wanted to structure it and my thought was okay if that's if that works for you guys that that's fine with fine with me as long as it's not disorganized and so far it's been it's been it's been great so Mm -hmm. i think that that seems like from my understanding, that's the way the CAA is going. That everybody wants to work on big teams together, and that's sort of how they like it. And, and I know that we're not the only artist at all that, that has a a larger team.
2: Mm-hmm. We also see on the contact information three managers.
3: Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> myself and Dave Conway, who's in our Nashville office, and then Dirk is one of the partners of the company uh dave and i are good because he does all the stuff that i don't like to do and i do all the stuff that Mm -hmm. he doesn't like to do so he's he's a real yin 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 to my yang yeah and and then dirk dirk is there sort of for i guess some higher level stuff but he's in on every conversation and we talk all the time and that sort of thing
0: what are some of the things you like to do and some of the things you don't
3: like to do um,
2: Radio interviews.
3: So, like for example, <laughs> <laughs> I told you I'm I'm super. I've been super under the radar for a long time. So this is my first all right. interview. But um, yeah, I mean I do a lot of the touring stuff, and Dave is really strong with all the DSPs and pitching and, and doing that that hustle. For example, but you know if you ask him, he would say that he's never won a book a flight or a tour bus, or have anything to do with that ever, so. Mm-hmm. What about minutiae,
0: like, a song comes out, and it needs to be loaded into ASCAP, and somebody has to upload all that information, input that into the, who, who is her pro, for example, for Tate? Uh, she's with SoCAN, because she's Canadian. Oh, what's all that, boot? All right, so, so she'll go with so, <laughs> SoCAN. Right. All right, um... uh, Because I have experience with ASCAP, but I I would assume it's very similar there, where somebody has to upload all that information to SOCAN um, Mm -hmm. and and generate all the numbers and all that kind of stuff and put in the song splits. Who's doing that? Is that a Matt or a Dave thing, or is that you have an assistant who you have or an intern do all that kind of stuff?
3: That's That's a me thing. I think a lot of the minutiae I'll probably do. I... I have an enjoyment out of it. I don't, mm-hmm. I've don't. i always sort of done the minutiae, and I, I like it. Um, but that's a, that doesn't mean I'm completely out of the conversation or unaware of other things that are going on. That's just the, you know, like I was saying, like I do certain things and Dave does certain things, like those are the things that he doesn't like to do, and I'm very, very happy to do it.
0: How about uh, sound exchange? I was talking with the class today about... Uh, Everybody spends a lot of time talking about uh, splits for songwriting, but we don't hear people talking as much about splits for sound exchange because, for example, um, I manage one artist who's on a song, and there are three artists in the song. It's this artist featuring my artist and another artist, and one of the three artists doesn't even appear on the track, but he's just a a featured artist. that He was involved in the production of it. And um, so I realized that they never worked it. They worked out song splits for the songwriting, but they never worked out splits for sound exchange. And I was trying to figure that out. And I know we're way past them even conversing about this stuff anymore. And I was uh, just thinking about that. So it made me wonder, is that something you've come across before where... Not only do we should we be thinking about who wrote the song, but also who's going to be considered a featured artist on this song, and how they're going to split that up for when that forty five percent comes in from sound exchange for featured artists?
3: yeah, I mean, in every producer deal that takes done with any producer she's worked with the sound exchange letter of directions always included with the corresponding percentage um sometimes. The producer's lawyer will put it into the sound exchange system. Sometimes <laughs> Kate's lawyer will. Sometimes mm-hmm. I've noticed nobody does it, and so I just <laughs> get in there and, right. and, and do it. It's just one of those things, especially with SOCAN and, you know, ASCAP and BMI, you just sort of have to keep an eye on everything. One of the things about SOCAN that I've noticed is that it doesn't interact completely with BMI and ASCAP. So there's there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So it, it always sort of requires me to be paying attention to stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Or like publishers, like Warner Chappell will only register their writers, but they don't care about anybody else that's on the song. So it'll sort of show up. Right. You know, a song will show up sort of half registered correctly, and then the rest of it's sort of a mess. So so yeah. Um, point is point being is that I'm always sort of eyeing those things from on a. On a fairly regular regular basis,
0: does she have a publishing deal? She does not. So she's. Uh, so who does her administration then for her publishing?
3: Right now, no one. It is a decision that we're probably going to have to make, hopefully mm-hmm. within the next year. But for right now, we're just sort of sitting on the sidelines and letting things letting things develop as they mm-hmm. as they do. Um, mm-hmm. That said, her old catalog. The one nice thing about SOCAN is that they have another division called SODRAC, and it's only available for SOCAN members and Canadian citizens where they can go out and collect streaming mechanical royalties. Mm -hmm. So she is set up with her older catalog she owns to at least go out and, and get those, and then we're sort of leaving the newer RCA releases open for now.
0: Right, okay, and you can afford to wait a little bit on that
3: anyway. So, uh, yeah, the, mm-hmm. the rule of thumb that I was that I've heard repeated to me is that after about two years, your mechanical, your streaming mechanicals will sort of disappear into the ether and get paid back to major labels. Um, so you have about two years to figure out I, mm-hmm. what it is, how it is that you want to get those.
2: It will, it'll be an admin deal, though, probably. With her, no, you're using... not completely sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To be honest,
3: well, I guess we'll. We'll, we'll see what, you know, I guess it's really going to come down to what she needs and when she needs it and making a good decision based upon that.
0: Interesting. Okay. We do have a, a tweet that uh, Nick is going to read. Nick is still here with us.
1: Yes. Um, so, Leo, at, he has two questions for you, Matt. Um, what sure. are four things that a band or artist should already have for you to want them or uh, for you to want to become their manager? And then the other question is what are some red flags that would make you not want to be involved with them
3: a um, couple of things that I don't know about four things but a couple of things that I that I would want to see is is that they're already writing really really good songs mm-hmm. and have some have some awareness of where they fit in and, and what they want to be and, and how they want to be it I think you really need to have a good Vision of of that these days. I don't, you know, before my time, obviously. But you hear about things in the '90s where like boy bands were getting put together, and that that does happen these days. But like, I feel like a lot of the majority of artists now are are being able to have a vision themselves and and write the songs and really put the whole thing together. And what I, and I've noticed at least at, at RCA that people really really appreciate it and like. Working with the artists that have an idea of who they are and what they want to what they want to be, so I think that that maybe that's I can't list off four things, but I think that that's really really important. And then I guess something that would turn me off is just someone that you can tell just isn't totally engaged or not. I guess lazy's like. Not necessarily the word I'm thinking of, but, like, someone that's just not totally engaged and loving mm-hmm. what they're doing or what they're trying to do. Yeah, no commitment. It, you know, it's a, it's a hard – yeah, no commitment. Or it's it's a hard business to to be in, and if you don't truly love it or at least want to work harder than everybody else, then I think that that can definitely be a red flag.
1: hmm Do uh, ticket sales or, like, if you're scouting an artist at a show or something – um, and they're playing to an empty room, but their songs are great, and you see potential in them, or maybe you see a, a packed room, but you're not really, or what's it called, the artist isn't doing, or playing music that you, I don't know, that you are attracted to, or anything like that. Does that affect how you, uh, if you want to work with them? I mean,
3: to it's funny, because I feel like that doesn't even happen anymore. That I feel like the second yeah. something gets Gets on the internet and people start noticing it, and it's really cool, oh, or really yeah. interesting, or really good songs. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's gone within you know <laughs> so so quickly. Everybody finds out about it, so it almost doesn't even feel like the, those days exist anymore, where you can like find an artist just playing a show and love what you're hearing and seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a bad live show necessarily wouldn't. Turn me off, especially in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I, I it's hard to for someone who's never been on tour, or never played a show, to like expect them to get up there and, and be brilliant. It, there's a lot that goes into it. And your favorite artist that you see at a big club or a big arena, you know, sounds the way they do because they have a lot of help. And that doesn't mean they can't do it on their own. But to put on a big show, you need a whole crew and people that are mixing your sound and doing your lights and teching all your back line. Like, there's, there's a reason that those shows are as good as they are.
1: Mm-hmm. I have uh, I remember, like, when I was interning at Warner, and, like, I was, like, talking to some of the A&R over there, and they weren't really, like, they were very critical. I guess that's because how, that's how A&R is. But they were very critical with newer artists. And, like, uh, I remember we were I was like we were talking about a specific one, and they saw them live. And, like, there was, like, a small thing that bothered that, that A&R person – And they thought the music was great. They thought the show was great, but it's just a small thing kind of threw them off. Um, I always just found that interesting how like where you're coming from is like an art or as a manager, it's like oh I see potential in them. They can definitely improve it. Whereas an A and R person doesn't really they want everything right away, rather than waiting for or trying to you know they see some sort of potential, but they don't want to commit because of one small thing. So yeah, I I mean,
3: I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that as a blanket statement. I guess mm -hmm. I could see myself in a position. At where I see something live that would really throw me off, but at the same time, the A and R person's in a different position than the manager. Yeah. So if you're a manager bringing A and R people out to a show, then you're already managing the artist. So at that point, you you probably already I mean you've definitely bought in. And if you're an A and R person, it's a really difficult decision to make to to try and sign an artist and go go to the people around you and, and get legal affairs all all hyped up and, you know, it's, and if it, your job is in a way very dependent upon the artist that, that you're breaking. So I can understand that from an A&R perspective, that mm-hmm. you, you should be very, very sure that what you're signing, you think will do, has the potential to do well, or it could affect you negatively it, personally in terms of your job.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm on TikTok right now, and I'm looking at Tate McRae one. And she's got her verified account. She has 133.9 thousand followers and looks like she's somewhat active on TikTok, but not crazy active. Um, Her last post was uh, last week, and she's getting um, about 5,000, anywhere between 5,000 and 19,000 views. What is your take on TikTok And how does TikTok – and its what is your TikTok strategy with Tate McRae?
3: Um, So she was active on TikTok and I think erased everything and now is back on being active again. She goes through phases because she is a teenager, so she uses it for entertainment, unlike probably us that were looking at it in a very scientific way and seeing what songs (laughs) are bringing or or not. Um, The TikTok strategy – is we've hired a company called Songfluencer that goes around and you pay them and they go to different influencers that they know and they get these people to post a TikTok using your song in an attempt to get it to go viral, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Some artists have big TikToks. Some don't have big TikToks, but they have big TikTok songs. I, I would say from working with a teenager, I've learned a lot about TikTok and teenage mm-hmm. culture that I, that I didn't know before this year. Um, but it's really where teenagers are going to interact with their friends and listen to music and find music. And a lot of it's very meme-based, trend-based. You know, a song will get big because this song goes well with a different with a kind of movement or a thing that you're doing in the TikTok that other people can copy and, and sort of one up you on it's, 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 I guess, sort of based like that, like how to one up your friends using the same song, I guess, mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. the same like theme of what you're trying to do.
0: When you're about to enter into a promotion on TikTok, And here's where I think you come in, in terms of, are you looking at, The data for that day, like a baseline of data across all the various platforms, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, uh, Apple Music, and then noting that and then letting the campaign run and then looking at the ball and looking to see, is there any bump that we can actually see happening, whether it's in real time or there's a lag and then all of a sudden five, six days later, oh, look, that just happened. Is that how what you're thinking or if not, what are you thinking?
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, a lot of it, too, you'll know stuff's going on on TikTok when people, when you search the the song or the sound, you can see how many videos have been made to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a lot of them, there's a good chance that it's going, quote-unquote, viral. Um, and if there aren't a lot of videos being made to it, there's, it's probably not going to react in other spaces. Um, but that's, that's really what we're we're looking for but i I will say this there's no uh, as far as i can tell at this point there's really no way to game the system like you can be clever and come up with a dance move that you think that other people are going to try and copy to a specific song um but some things work and just some things don't and this is what even the people at tiktok have told me on calls that it just you know you just got to try it and it's the same thing with youtube getting videos to go viral and h- hitting the suggested video algorithm, it's its very hit or miss. It's either some stuff might work and some stuff might not, and you might have something that you, you're sure is just going to pop off, and it just doesn't, and it's just there's really no way to, to predict it.
0: Okay. We have time for one more question, and Zach is going to read it, and this is about you specifically and something you even mentioned earlier
1: on. My name is Nick, not Zach. what I say, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were friends, but okay. No, no I, I guess know. not. Let's go, Todd. <laughs> All right, Matt. um So Ethan asks: As you go further and further into the industry, do you expect your online presence to grow, or do you prefer the privacy?
3: Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm fairly fairly private. I'm not. I'm not definitely not a person that's like constantly posting and flexing things that I'm doing. Like if good things happen, I'll about it but that's definitely not my my main concern i i would just prefer to do a good job at what i'm doing and if i get recognition for that you know then i'll happily take it
0: so you don't as manager you don't see yourself as an additional arm of promotion where people may follow you because of who you are and then if you put something out there even if it's not blatantly hey listen to this new Tate McRae song but you with Tate in the studio, or you Tate you know at backstage during her concert, which would generate additional interest potentially in her, and then maybe more streams, maybe a movie deal, whatever you don't look at it like that.
3: No, I also mm-hmm. feel like I'm not that interesting of a person that anyone <laughs> would care about what i'm what i'm posting I think I, I at least in her case, I have a better chance of things doing well by. People paying attention to what she's posting mm-hmm. uh, rather than rather than me it's interesting
0: because because there are managers who i've talked to who are on both sides of this there's there's the privacy side on you and then there's the scooter brawn oh, right. you know who's going out and um going crazy with everything yeah. that, that he has going on so it's, it's oh. interesting neither is right or wrong that's it's just sort of a different viewpoint which is i find yeah. interesting
3: yeah yeah, listen, whatever, whatever makes you happy. I, I can't argue with anything that Scooter's ever done because it all seems like, seems like it's worked. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure he got a big following just because he was with Justin all the time and right. his leverage did into something that's really amazing. So if he's happy with that and is comfortable with it, more power to him.
2: It's who your artist is, too. hmm
3: Right. Well, right now, our artist
0: is Matt Feldman, and we're going to oh. tell the world about how great Matt Feldman is. And we really do appreciate <laughs> you doing this radio show and, and coming out from the shadows a little bit and, and expanding on some thoughts. It's really helpful, and I can't wait to hear yeah. the podcast because there is some good stuff here. So, Matt, thank you very,
3: very much.
2: Yes, Matt. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Thanks for, thank you for having me, boys. I appreciate it. Yeah.
2: Matt Feldman! Matt Feldman!
3: Talk to you later. Thanks, Matt.
2: Okay. Did he
0: hang up before uh, he got to say goodbye? Or did you... you t- Ashley just hung up on him. Anyway, so thank you, Matt. And um, Nick, thank you so much for being here tonight.
2: Yes. Next week.
0: Next week, uh, Music Biz 101 and More live, our panel from uh, October 21st. Ashley's ah. in the midst of producing this as we speak. And after that, Rob Hoffman, who is the manager of the band Extreme, he also plays guitar for a Journey tribute band. Mm. Um, and he was talking about that, where he actually gets tremendously huge gigs, huge gigs from mm. that, and we're going to talk about that as well. There's, And he used to manage Courtney Love. Oh, so he uh-oh. will be the third person we've had on the show who's managed Courtney Love.
2: That has admitted it.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> right, because Nick actually managed Courtney Love for about a year Shh. and a half as well. So, Come oh, on. Sorry about that, Nick. Sorry <laughs> about that. But we want to thank you. So, Ashley, thank you very much for doing this with us tonight. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Dr. Esteban Marconi.
2: And my co-host.
0: I am professor. your professor. David Kirk Philp on Music Biz One O One, more Brave New Radio. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That'd be the dumbest thing we could ever say. It almost be the dyslexic way of saying what we want to say, which is. Adios!